0: Hey, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series called Use Your Words. You know we're spending a few weeks in this. If you weren't here last week, we stopped the, the study of the Gospel of Mark for a few weeks here. And we're going to do uh, this series called uh, Use Your Words. It kind of worked, came out of a, a an observation I was making as we were going through the Gospel of Mark about our community. Not just Highland, but our, the culture we live in. I would even say the global culture and, and impatience that we seem to be displaying toward one another. A willingness to go from saying things to being angry to lashing out and hurting one another. And I just thought, man, it'd be so cool to spend some time and talk about, you know, the opportunity we have to use your words. Uh, last week, we, I shared with you the, the brief story about a mom who kind of gets down with her kids and says, now use your words, you know, it's that kind of basic teaching. But today, we're going to talk about that some more. And this idea, and, and really what we're trying to get to is two things. Uh, one is how we can use our words more effectively And then the second is how we can maintain and engage in constructive conversations that are meaningful, right? Conversations like this, that when you walk away, you don't regret what you just said. (laughs) I don't know if you're with me on that. Like, do you ever feel that? In that moment, you're like, yeah, I'm getting this out. And you walk away and you're like, man, I shouldn't have said any of that stuff. Like, you just have to go back and apologize and ask forgiveness for that. I don't know if you're like that at all. I, I find myself in that spot quite often. So, this is kind of a fun one for me because I'm going to pick on my wife who loves that when I do that. But one of her favorite things that I do when I'm most like Jesus is she'll ask me a question. And then I answer with a question. Anybody do that? Come on, spouses. Anybody here married? You, that's a clever. If, if, if you know, your spouse asks a question, just ask them a question back to find out. You know, and, and you can just keep pushing on and actually it's really funny uh, because she does get quite upset with me for that that's not why it's funny but that's not why I do it either because a lot of times I'm just confused I don't understand and so I ask questions but then I always say like that's what Jesus did now you're like why why so I'll talk about that today I want to share two passages with you as we get started this morning we're gonna pray and we're gonna get into a study we have got a lot quite a bit of material but we'll just see what God does with it Uh, that's what we want is what he wants right not what we had planned and so we're gonna do that instead uh, but, so the first one I want to share with you is my favorite verse in the Bible, right? It's from Matthew 7, 7. And it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Uh, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's 7, 7. And this is 7, 8. Uh, because everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is always open to you. I love that because it's such a, a proactive and positive verse about the truth of the God that we serve. But I have to confess something. Actually, when I was preparing this week, I kept thinking it says, ask and it'll be answered. You ever heard that before? Ask and it'll be answered. But I want to point out, just by way of passing here, it says ask and it'll be given. It means if we make petitions to God, he will uh, open his hand to us. And then in verse 8, it says, everyone who asks receives. It means if you've asked, you lay hold of it, that all these treasures are available to us. The power of God, the clothing of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the uh, forgiveness of sins are available. If you ask, petition the Lord, he'll give it to you. That's one verse, though, about this thing about why, why we ask questions. Man, the Bible is full. I'm, I can't believe if you haven't heard Jesus ask a question, you haven't read your Bible. Because he asked a whole bunch of questions, all right? But here's a second one that I love as well. This is from the book of James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. And it reads like this. Everyone should be quick to listen, Uh, slow to speak, and and slow to become angry. And I told you before as a church, if if we could just get that in our lives and our hearts, everything would be different for us. If we could be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, "...because uh, the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God requires or desires." And when we act out in that moment, when we, get, when we get impatient with our words, when we get frustrated, and then we lash out, that brings us no glory to God, no righteousness in His name, no righteousness in our own life, right? So those are kind of our anchor verses to be thinking about contextually. We're actually going to talk through uh, some examples today from uh, Jesus' own life, which is where we get our model for perfection and what God looks like. Uh, I want to invite you to pray with me. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and teach us this morning, all of us together that we could know and be changed pray with me if you would uh, father god we thank you so much and we are in awe to be in your presence yet again this morning uh, you woke us up you gave us uh, air in our lungs uh, a place to be people to be with and we give you thanks and praise for that great gift of life that we don't deserve we pray father god as we come into here with all our stories and all our backgrounds and all our baggage and lord i don't know if anybody else is like that in here today but you just feel that weighing on you Man, where can we go? We turn to you. We come to you. We seek you. We worship you. I pray, Father, that this morning as we come into your house in your name, utterly dependent on you as your children, just needing you, I pray that you would visit us, that you would condescend, that you would come to our state of disrepair and just lift us up with you. Would you anoint this time with your Holy Spirit, would you teach us in our innermost being? Would you write your words in our heart that we might be changed? Father, we love you so much and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we get to know you and we get to have this life that we don't deserve. We pray that in this time in your word that you would open our minds to its truth, open our eyes to see and our ears to ear, open our hearts to be soft and pliable in your hands that we might be changed. May you be glorified. We love you so much. We thank you for the time together as a community of faith. We pray a prayer of thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to jump right in with this idea of the way Jesus engaged. And I guess the, the thing we want to talk about today is we should ask great questions. I mean, as people of faith, we should ask great questions I, I don't know if you've had much experience in church world, but sometimes we don't like questions. Matter of fact, maybe you spend some time praying that friends don't ask questions or that you don't have to engage in conversations like that. So, so today we're going to talk about how we can ask great questions. And the first thing we're going to talk about here is that what I talked about already, mentioned to you. But my clicker might not be going. Here we go. Let's one more time. There we go. How to ask great questions is to answer a question with a question, right? Answer with a question. And and I kind of gave you a little uh, insight into my personal life getting into this, but really, and I, you know, it's just something that over time, I've always been a question asker anyway, but it's something that we can, we can all do. I want you to turn with me now. We're going to, we're going to, we got some scripture to cover, but I want you to see this comes from the word of God, and I want you to show you where it's at. So we're going to turn to the gospel of Luke first. So we're going to stop in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and on. So turn there if you would. If you use one of our Bibles, they're on the end of the chair rows. You can grab one. It's going to be on page 725. Okay, getting there? All right, here we go. Luke 10, verse 25. Check it out. This is an encounter Jesus has with someone. Now, these are all going to be—I'm going to tell you a little different about today's sermon. We're going to look at things that Jesus did and talk about the model of what he did. It's easy to get into the Word and and kind of come out of that, which is beautiful and awesome. But we want to talk about the model of what we see here. So let's start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So here we have a question directly pointed to Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, right? Someone stands up in the church service. Can I ask you a question? And the question is this, what must I do to have eternal life? And, and this is, we're talking about this idea of answering a question with a question. Check out, I, I guess before we even move on, I want to say like, in this moment, I don't know if you've ever thought about this when you read the Bible, but in this moment, why doesn't Jesus just say what you must do? Like, in this moment, why don't he just flat answer the question? We, we see this over and over again, like, why does he not do that. I think in this moment, if you're reading the book of answers, right, you you would go, well, that's what he's going to do. He's going to answer the question. Let's let's see what he does. Verse 25, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, check out Jesus' response. 26, what's written in the law? See? Okay, at a very basic level, he asked the question, (laughs) didn't he? Like, he asked a question. But wait a minute, what does this passage tell us about the guy who asked? he's a what? Huh? Yeah, he's an expert in the law. It's easy to miss that, right? It said at the very beginning, one time an expert in the law came to ask Jesus a question and test him, right? And he said, what must I do? And Jesus turns around and asks a question about that guy's area of expertise. Well, what does the law say, right? He, he, he comes to the man in the man's strength. Now, what's funny is a lot of times, I don't know if you have someone approach you from a background, a certain background, you would be uncomfortable asking maybe something that they would know a lot about. But Jesus goes there. I, I love that he uh, is willing to go there. He says, what is written in the law? Right? That's his question. All right, I've got to find my spot. 26. Here's the answer in 27. So the man answers, from the law, Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's his answer, right? Check out Jesus. Uh, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Oh, no, no, wait. I skipped something, man. That's why I'm like, wait, wait. This ain't what we're doing. Look at what he says. What's written in the law? And then he asks the second question. So he asks the, the expert question. But then he asked this question, which I think is, is awesome. How do you read it? What is written in the law and how do you read it? I think this is an awesome question for church world because I don't know if you've ever been um, in a Bible study or a small group setting. Or, or maybe on a Sunday morning like this. And you got the book open, you know, I don't know if you got the book open right now. And you're looking at the word and what the word says. And I've heard people on both sides of this conversation there are some people that love to say, let's read Matthew 7, 7, right? Ask and it will be answered. Seek, see, I just messed it up. Ask and it will be uh, given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then here's the question. What does that mean to you? That's a funny thing to ask, right? What does that mean to you? And there are people on one side of this conversation that will say, man, that's a great way to do a Bible study because everyone gets their input. Well, you know, it means this to me and it means that to me and everything else. But I've heard a lot of people in church world that go like, that's a terrible question. Don't ask me what it means to them. Ask what it meant, right? Tell them what it means. Don't, don't, tell, don't say this is up, up to you. I love that in this moment with this expert in the law, Jesus asked him two questions. What does the law say? Like, what does the word actually say? And then he asked this question. How do you read that law? How do you interpret that law? How do you understand that law? I, I think this is like the precursor to that question. What does it mean to you? I say that because we have a tendency to want to distance ourselves from questions like this. We don't necessarily want to go there with people. But Jesus goes right to that thing that we um, often will avoid. We'll often avoid that kind of encounter. What is written in the law? All right. So he's asking this guy, and then the guy answers. And we're not going to get into the guy's answer because we're going to come back around. This is about the, the, the model, not the content today, which is a weird, weird thing to say. But So he asks him the question, he doubles down, what does it mean to you? And the, and the guy gives an answer, right? And Jesus affirms it. You've answered correctly, all right? So, so here's something that's crazy about engaging in this way with, with one another. You might think that because Jesus even affirms the answer the guy gives, that Jesus agrees with what the guy's, why the guy's asking. Right? In other words, you might already think, well, Jesus is like, yeah, you did it right. Teacher of the law, good job. But he, he's moving in a conversation with this guy, and we can and all do the same thing. Um, I want to tell you a brief story. I don't know if this is connected or not, but I want to tell you a brief story. So um, we've been here at Family Bible Church for a while, I've been here for a while as a pastor and leader in this church, and we've had many opportunities to walk with people through, you know, difficult situations and, and hard conversations and none more difficult at times than theological conversations that we struggle with, that, that we maybe don't agree on or that people have different opinions of or whatever. And there was an opportunity that we had, or actually we were asked, I should say, to go out and visit with someone who was in the church who was, who was kind of teaching some things that, that, that people were concerned with. They said, hey, well, you we go have this conversation. And so, we did. Now, I want to lay out a little bit of scenario for you so you understand what's happening here. So, we, we, there was a couple of, of uh, LT members sent out. That's what we did. We said a couple guys go and have this conversation, see what's going on. And then we visited with, with one person. So, there was three people at the meeting, right? Uh, two people coming from LT and one dude from the church. We're going to have this conversation. What, what is this about? And uh, we prayed about it for we went out there, went out there and had a conversation, you know. And um, it was really interesting. And we asked... I ask a whole bunch of questions. Well, why do you think that? Why do you think this? What is this about? What's behind it all? Not to say I got it figured out, but I was working, working, working. But this is what blew me away about it. And this is why I think it's so relevant, right? So we all pray at the end. We don't really necessarily reach resolution. We didn't come up with the final solution or anything. We just kind of prayed and trusted God with it. But this is what blew me away. We were driving away uh, from there. And the person that came with me said, do you agree with them? And I was like, what? And they're like, do you agree with that doctrine? Because we thought it, w- we thought it was bad doctrine. And I was like, well, no. Why? It sounded like you agreed. And I was like, why? Because we ask questions? And I think that that's an interesting thing to get a hold of, but I think sometimes if we approach people who we don't agree with, and we ask them questions, and we respect them enough to listen to other answers, that might be interpreted as agreeing. It might be interpreted as agreeing. But it, but it's not necessarily so. We're asking questions. Understanding. Jesus does the same thing here. He, he, he asks these questions. Well, how do you read it? But he doesn't necessarily agree. I mean, you can say, well, yeah, he says you answered correctly. But I mean, he, he, you know, he's like trying to get to something else going on with the Pharisees whom he loved. Whom Jesus loved deeply. So he's, he's pushing on through that. See, often this, this will... Uh, will scare us. We'll say, if I even engage, it's going to look like I'm condoning something I don't agree with. Like I can't talk to people like that. That's craziness. Of course we can. Of course we should. So we have these kind of misunderstandings, these misinterpretations. Asking questions uh, never hurts anything. Check it out. Listen now. I hope you, that's what we're going to take away today. Asking questions never hurts. Listen uh, to what happens. So we're going to jump down. Jesus tells a story. You know the story well, right? Because here, but in verse 29, This is, see, this is what's going on. The guy immediately still has another problem. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Right? Because the guy's issue wasn't the issue. There was something else going on. He just didn't, didn't want to do this. Didn't really want to hear what Jesus had to say. As a reply, Jesus tells a story. But then look in verse, um, where is it at? Yeah, 36. It happens again, (laughs) Je- Jesus tells the story. It's like a preamble to the question, though. That's all that. Do you know the Good Samaritan story about the guy who goes along the road and sees the guy who's sick on the side? That's just a preamble to Jesus getting to another question. And here it is. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That's the whole point of the Good Samaritan story. Jesus is getting to another question. I told you a story. Who's, who's the guy who's a good neighbor? And the expert answers, the one who had mercy. And Jesus says, that's what you got to do. You, you got to look at the text and see what Jesus is doing. Asking questions, engaging with people, letting people ask him questions. We talked about that last week, by the way. Always have an answer, right, for the hope that you have. So here Jesus is, is answering questions with questions and going deeper with people getting to the point. All right, we're going to move on, but check it out. Here, here's something I thought maybe maybe fun, a little exercise. A little bit of practicality for us this morning, okay? The next time, I don't know, maybe it's a guy thing, right? Not to be a sexist, <laughs> maybe it's a guy thing. Right? The next time somebody approaches you and asks a question, try asking 10 questions before you answer the question. You know, that's going to drive somebody nuts. Maybe. Maybe. Or maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll realize before you open your mouth, talking mostly to guys now, that you're about to answer the wrong question. <laughs> you're about to answer the question you think you heard. Why not ask? Why not I go a little deeper? Okay, maybe you say 10 is too much. Maybe five. The next time I, somebody approaches me and says, you know what, I don't understand. Or, you know, um, I'm confused. or they're, they're, Hey, what do you think about the situation? Just stop in that moment, think about it, and, and just ask. Well, why is that a concern for you? What, what's making you think that that's going to be a problem? Why, you know, I mean, just get into that, right? All right, fair enough. So, one opportunity you have. If you want to take it, Ask ten questions, maybe five, before you give an answer. Just try it. Dig a little deeper. You got time? Dig a little deeper. Here's the second principle, right? We want to start general in our questions and move to personal. So we want to start general and move to personal. Most of us are pretty good about general conversations. And most of us aren't very good at personal conversations. That's how that kind of works, right? And we're going to see the same thing here. We're going to see this modeled also in Jesus' life. Now, this will be familiar, and we have covered this just recently in the Gospel of Mark. But I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 16. And we're going to talk through this encounter with Jesus. We just, just heard about this in Mark, so we, you'll, you'll be familiar with it if you've been coming to Family Bible. Matthew 16:13 through 20. Then Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? We just covered this, right? We just talked about these questions Jesus asked. They replied to him. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some others, uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? See, that's the the second question. And then we have Simon Peter saying this most awesome answer. You are the Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, we just talked about that. I'm not going to talk about that again, about peter confessing christ but what i want us to see is a structure of what has just happened a few things going on in the text here first of all jesus had been with crowds and he goes alone with his disciples but he asks a very general question who do people say that i am what does the world think of me what are you hearing on the streets you see that's the kind of question that most of us would be comfortable answering matter of fact look he gets a whole bunch of answers you know uh all kind of opinions about who jesus is from the world right so it's the question general who but then look at what happens next jesus asks this who do you say that i am now when we talk about this in mark and this is a fair application i was like you individually you but he was acting collectively you could think of it like this y'all <laughs> right that's kind of what he says who do they say that i am the world who do y'all say that I am? People in this room. So there's a second stage of intimacy, right? Moving, he's moving from a general question about who he is to a group question about who he is to this moment where Peter says, you are the Christ. That response is individual. See, now it's gone from this vastly wide. I mean, I just want you to think about the possibilities here. Had Jesus said, who do the world say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus would have been like, that's interesting. And then just kind of went with that. If he had said, why, well, maybe, why do you think they think that? Uh, well, what can we do to change that? What strategies can we use to change their mind about who I am? How can we convince them? What campaign can we run to convince them But Jesus doesn't stay there like so many of us have a tendency to do. No. He says, what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And then one dude jumps out. I I think you're the Christ. Steps over the line. I think think you are the son of God. Jesus is moving the conversation from general to personal. It's um, a thing that we're all familiar with, as a matter of fact. We will spend a lot of time in general conversation with people. How's the weather? How about your favorite sports team? Even sometimes hard things. People bring us hard things. And we'll talk in generalities about it. Oh, that's, that's hard. That's a tough deal. Oh, I hate to hear that. You got laid off, man. That's, that's right? But we don't want to go personal. We don't want to push to personal. See, here's the thing. Um, Jesus is always asking and answering the deeper questions, like the teacher of the law. Did he want to know how to inherit eternal life? He was testing Jesus. But Jesus wants him to know, this is how you do this. He's going deeper. He's not going to set at the surface. And you and I shouldn't be satisfied to set at the surface either. As a matter of fact, hold up. You and I shouldn't be satisfied to set at the surface with Jesus. Speaking in vast generalities. Lord, I know that your word says this about you. And Lord, I I know that my brother and sister say this. I know my friends think this and all that. And we never get to, this is what I think, Father. Or the other way around. I know the world thinks this of me. And I know my friends and family think that of me. uh, But we never say, God, what do you think of me? What do you think of my life? See, we we don't want to go to the personal part of the conversation, as I was doing a bunch of research, there's a lot of stuff here, I was doing a bunch of research, I found this dude named Rod uh, Trekman, And I want to give him credit. He's a youth pastor and now missionary. I think that's kind of an awesome evolution from youth pastor to missionary. And he was, he was writing about these things, about how Jesus asked questions. And he said he made two uh, general observations about people coming to us with questions and about how we should approach or respond. He says this, first of all, questions are very rarely impersonal although we treat them like they are. Very rarely will someone come with a question that's not a personal question, but we treat them like they're not personal questions. That's the first observation he made. They're almost always personal. The second thing he says is this. We need to have people bring their hearts into the conversation. But by talking in generalities, we don't have to, right? We can just spend our time out there and never go any deeper. But I would say at Family Bible Church, what we say is we have to get real. We have to get real. So how, I want to say, how does this work a little bit, right? And I, this is why I really, because I'm like, how, you know, um, give Rob Truckman some credit just because they say my ideas. But I thought, how does that happen? That's the stuff I really struggle with. Application. How do we actually do this in our real lives? Other than drive my wife crazy, asking her questions. Like, how do I actually do this? And I'll confess to you, by the way, before I read these, that I have failed to do this well. I have failed to do this well. People approach, I have a question. And I'm almost immediate with an answer. regret it. Now look at Jesus, how he lived. No, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Check it out. Here's my, here's my idea. He said, how this might look. Someone approached you and asks, how can you claim to have the only way to God in Jesus? If they'd asked that question. Rather than answer, we could reply, well, what do you believe? How do you answer the question in your own life. And do you feel that? That's, that feels weird. You go, no, don't, no. Just give them the answer. This is your chance, right? Maybe you've even been, oh, uh, listen, you've been playing the answer in your head what you're going to say. I know what I'm going to say. Just wait for somebody to ask it. That's kind of the problem, right? You don't even care if it's the right question you're answering. You're, you got the answer ready. You're going to use it. Listen, we miss opportunities. Another thing he says, what about someone that comes and says, what about all the problems or hypocrisy in the church? And rather than answering, and, and rather than even de- deflecting, well, there's hypocrisy everywhere, the world's full of hypocrites, and you know, blah, blah, blah. What if instead we would say, um, well, how have you seen hypocrisy? How have you been engaged with the church? How has your experience been? Maybe we can be empathetic. I, I understand it can be hurtful sometimes in church. I, I've been hurt in church. Have you been hurt in church, by the way? I've been hurt in church. So why are we surprised when people say, oh, church is broken or hypocritical. Don't get defensive. How have you experienced it in your own life? Someone asks us, uh, what proof do you have? Um, what, what, what can you show me that I could actually believe? Rather than say, well, Jesus showed you. He gave his life on the cross. Read the Bible. Pray. You'll know it's true. Rather than do all that, say, what would it take? What would God have to do to prove to you God's real? See, that's a little different. It's going deeper with somebody. It's asking a question. It's going from the, the, um, the, the general to the personal. By the way, here's the key word, you. Which is what we're all afraid to do. I don't want to hear what you have to say. No, we should. We want to hear what people have to say. Well, what do you think? What, what, have, what have you been pondering? What has been stirring in your heart? We can ask these kind of questions. Here's, here's the last one. He shares some personal story. Why, do bad, why does God let bad things happen to good people? You ever been asked that question? You ever, you ever been told, I had, I had a lot of people tell me this, uh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have questions for God. <laughs> I got some things I want him to explain to me. Right? And I got my answers to that. Believe me. I got my answers to that. I've I've said the same answer a thousand times to people. But instead, what if you knew their life? See, in this case, he was telling a story about an 18-year-old young man who had a friend who was dying of cancer and whose father had divorced his mother and left for another woman. Because he spent time with him in his life. He knew it wasn't an impersonal, theoretical, philosophical question. How can God let bad things happen to good people? He was more saying, how could this happen to me? So instead of going philosophical, he goes personal. And he says, wow, that sounds incredibly hard. Wait, I know all you've gone through, all you've been going through. How are you doing? Or what is God teaching you? What is this causing you to think or feel? But we love answers instead of questions. In spite of the way we see Jesus function himself, here, here's a model for you, a general model, where you move on. And someone approaches you with a question. You can always affirm the question. Always affirm the question. That's an interesting question. That's a great question. I mean, be honest about it. If it's, a, you know, I guess you shouldn't say it's a stupid question. <laughs> but, you know, just engage. That's an interesting question. And then ask a question back. What brought that to mind for you? What's going on in your life that you would wonder that? And listen, let's try that. All right, have got to move. Last point here. So all this stuff, it's kind of like redundant, right? Uh, answer questions with questions. And then um, go from the general to the personal to moving in the scope because we want to get to people's lives and hearts for real. Like, honestly, if I'm asking you a question, it's because there's something going on in me that I want to under, I understand. So we should go there. We should want to go there, people. But here's the third. And this is an overarching uh, principle. And it's be curious. <laughs> um, be curious. Be curious. I, I did a little bit of work this week on this. A little of this kind of observational work. Um, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, as you know, for, for several, several weeks. And we'll be getting back into it after Easter. And I did some work in this. And uh, I, was, I did a count. Actually, I wanted to show you my handiwork, the high-tech uh, stuff I did. I did a little ticker. <laughs> I, I read through the Gospel of Mark again. And, and I did a little ticker. And every time I saw Jesus ask a question, I put a little tick. Tick, like that, right? And every time I saw someone else ask a question, I put a little tick, tick, like that, right? I didn't make those sounds when I did it because I'd be weird, but that's what happened. So I was like, tick, tick. All right, and then I come up with this. In the Gospel of Mark, 122 questions are asked. 122, that's pretty good. There's 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. 122 questions, that's a lot of questions per chapter. There's a lot of questions being asked in the Gospel of Mark. Check it out. I thought, well, because people got a lot of questions for Jesus, right? We heard all the people asking questions. Check it out. Jesus asked 69 of them. What? (laughs) Jesus asked 69 of the questions, and everyone else is recorded asked 53. That's everyone else. That's the demon saying, "What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of Nazareth?" Like that's the people asking curiosity questions. Like the it's heavily slanted toward Jesus asking more questions than other people. I was amazed what? Jesus asked more questions than people who follow Jesus? I want you to let that set in your heart for a minute. You got questions for God? God might have questions for you. Jesus asked more questions. So if it's, if it's not about, but here's the thing, right? Did Jesus need to know? Do you think he was wondering what, what they might answer? Not with Jesus. He asked questions to get to a point. Now that's different than us, by the way. We're not Jesus. I don't know if anybody told you that yet. You're not Jesus. <laughs> okay. So we ought to back off a little bit. But check it out. Um, Jesus asked a whole bunch of questions. I made, I did some more work. I made a little sheet here. And I just copied off every question asked in the gospel of mark. Just typed them out. Wrote them down for us. Right. Two page, one, two page, one piece of paper. Right. Uh, some of the questions I thought were Jesus was kind of being curious a little bit. Like, um, why are you thinking these things? That's a curious question. Uh, Here's a curious question Jesus asked in the Gospel of Mark. Who touched my clothes? That's kind of funny if you think about it out of context, isn't it? Who touched my clothes? Yeah. Somebody's getting healed. All right, why would he ask that question? He's curious. Um, check it out. Uh, why, here's a great one. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked that question. Why do you call me good? Here's another curious question. He was holding a coin and he said, whose image is on it? And whose inscription is written upon it? Questions. Why would Jesus do this? We got one more stop. We'll be done. We're going to turn to the gospel of John. I think I have it up here. Maybe, yeah, John 4, 4 through 26. Same deal here. But we'll see all this demonstrated in this encounter. John 4, 4. See, I think that the reason, and you saw it on the screen a minute ago, the reason that Jesus would ask and the reason that we should ask is because being curious allows room. Now, here's some key thoughts for discovery. In the Bible, it's called Eurisco. It's where we get our word Eureka. That's what people used to say when they found gold in the ground. <laughs> Eureka, I found it. I'm rich, right? And there's something about this encounter with Jesus, him asking questions that's let, that lets room from the one who has all the answers for people to discover the answer. The law teacher discovering the truth. The second thing is that it allows for deep thinking, Right? And then the third, and probably most important, is it allows for transformation of our lives. All right, here we go. We're going to see all this laid out here in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Different encounter. Verse 4. Now, he had gone through Samaria. Oh, no, no, wait. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Funny, funny line. He had to go. Jesus had to go. Okay. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was for the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about high noon. It's hot, right? Verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus asked her, will you give me a drink? This is a little different. She didn't ask a question to him first. She showed up. He's there, but he asks her a question. Will you give me a drink? That's kind of a funny thing. We could think, well, um, you know, he really wants a drink or uh, he's going to teach this woman something. Now, if you read the story, you know he's going to teach this woman something. All right. But watch, the, watch how these questions progress in this engagement. And watch how many questions there are in this engagement. It goes very, very fast. He says, will you give me a drink? Immediately, the woman answers him with a problem. She says, you see, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? There's a question. She's engaged. How can you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. That's the footnote for us who don't know the context. This is never would, would happen. Um, she asks a question. He goes deeper. If you knew the gift of God, who it, who it is, uh, wait, and who it is to ask you for this drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she goes on. Here we go. Number three. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get living water? That's the third question being asked. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it herself, himself? And as did his sons and his flocks and herds? We're going to read on here. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's internal. It's going to change everything. And the woman says, Sir, give me this water that I don't have to get thirsty and I don't have to come here and draw water anymore. Look at 16. Go call your husband and come back. What? Huh? You see what he did? There's this big Samaritan problem. And why are you even talking to me? And why do you want to drink? Well, I got to drink. Well, if I had a drink like that and Jacob's well and all this stuff about the history of the Samaritans and and our own birthright and who we are, right? And in the middle of this conversation, it's very general and very antiseptic and very, you know, clean, all that. He turns in a moment he says, well, go get your husband and we'll talk about it. General. to personal. Check it out. Why? Why ask the question? Why ask her to go get her husband that they could have a conversation about it? 17, I have no husband. Jesus says, you're right. When you say, you have no husband? The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the, hus- the man you're with now is not your husband. So you have said, is qu- what you have just said is quite true. He affirms it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Do you think he's trying to dress her down and embarrass? Well, what? what, check it out. What is he doing? 19, man. It's discovery. Sir, I can see... That you're a prophet, wow! I can see that you're different. This engagement that has gone from philosophical and theological and abstract to personal has cut right to this moment. And she goes, "I know that you're different. I'm paying attention." And she goes on to now we're going deeper. Here we go, right? Deeper thinking. Starting in verse twenty, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, the Samaritan, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, but salvation is from the Jews. A time is coming and has now come when the worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, because there are all kinds of worshipers that the Father is seeking out. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's going deep in this conversation by a well. You see how he got here? You see what's happening? He's he's asking her to think more deeply about this claim over a birthright and a well and a place to drink and a conflict between Jews and Samaritans, between this intractable hostility that they have. She's now she's she's going. Man, give her some credit. Because she knows who she is. She's going there with Jesus. I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain, explain everything. I, I know there's one coming who's going to answer these questions. I know there's one. See, she's there with them, deeper. And then Jesus declares, I who speak to you now am he. I'm that one. Deeper. Right? He goes from curious. Will you, will you give me a drink of water? to this deep, heart-level conversation, to a revelation that we applaud Peter for making with Jesus. Lays it out. Here's the last thing. Transformation, right? I want you to look at verse uh, 28. 28-29. Because you could think she got her questions answered. You could think, right, 28, then leaving Her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Check it out. Could this be the Christ? She's still asking questions. Could this be Messiah? Come and see. She forgot about her jar of water. Come and see this one. Could it be? Is it possible? It's transformed. We got to skip, but check it out. Verse 36. Let me see. That's not it. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. Oh, 39. (laughs) Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. That was her testimony, by the way. Pretty brief. uh, 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many became believers. We no longer believe because of what you have said. Now we have seen and heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Discovery, transformation, we do that. That's how we do it. All right, so as we wrap, what questions do you have for God in your life? What questions are you willing to ask? Or how about this? What hopes, dreams, fears, and hurts, what experiences are behind the questions that you're asking? Many of us don't want to talk about that stuff. We don't want to think deeply about it. How about this? Are you willing to have an honest conversation with God and with others while you choose to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry? Are we willing to listen to others when they come? Are we willing to give them the time, time to ask what that's about? I said the one thing you could try experiment this week. By the way, did you all have any conversations last week after we talked about it? We pray for that? That God will give you the opportunity to have an answer for the questions or the hope that you have? Ten, ten th- times maybe. Or maybe five. So I'm going to just ask. I'm going to ask a few questions before I give my answer. I'm going to stop and ask a few questions. Um, I made some copies of this sheet. Nothing special? This is the Word of God. That's all that is, the Word of God. Take that. Spend some time alone. Just kind of read through there. Pick one that stands out to you. Ask that question and answer it. Ask it and answer it. The great questions that Jesus asked in the Gospel of Mark. Go deeper. I'm going to pray with you. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on today. You know. God knows. That's where the relationship is. We love you. We're glad you're here. We're not Jesus. But Jesus is Jesus. And he's here and he loves you more. Go right there, man. Have that conversation. I'm going to invite the prayer team to the, head to the back hall when we do the final song today. If you want a prayer, this is nothing weird. There's a hallway right here that's just kind of behind the stage here. We pray there before service. We pray there after the, the message. If you want to go back and just receive prayer, if you want to say why, if you want to ask questions, or if you just want to go back and say, I just need somebody to pray for me today. God knows what it is. Go back and have someone pray with you, pray for you. Here's the secret. If you don't go back, people are praying for you anyway. But go back there and receive prayer today if, if, you're, if you felt uh, led to do that. Don't let this opportunity pass to have an honest conversation. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for your long suffering with your people. We thank you so much today. I thank you so much that you are not a God who pushes away children. You're not a God who pushes away the curious. You're not a God who pushes away the questions. But you're willing to answer them. Pray we have the courage to ask. I pray, Father God, for all my friends who are here this morning who maybe have questions that are hard, hard, hard questions. I pray, Father, that you would heal the wounds that have been created first by the experience and then second by the stupid ways in which your people respond sometimes. Would you forgive us our sins as we have been so quick to judge and so quick to answer and so slow to listen. Father God, would you hear us today? Would you speak to us today? I pray for those who are here today who've had that question burning man, a long time burning and they just they just they just need to talk to you about it. I pray that you would do that work. I pray that they would have the courage to ask and listen. And I pray Father that we would all find ourselves at that great cross, at that throne room at your feet. Not as those who are objects of wrath, but those who are free in your name those who have been forgiven for all of our sins and washed clean we thank you so much for the truth of the gospel that we're free pray Father that you would do this work for your glory for your glory among the nations that your people us we would be different because we know you do this work Father for your glory in this world Do this work for the sake of your people who are watching, people who are witnessing. And do this work for the sake of us who are so desperate and in need of it. May you work. May your Holy Spirit move. May you be glorified. We give you thanks and praise for all that you are in Jesus Christ. Amen.